0: Audio. Invasion continues. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back on the seed. Yes, crispy and clean with the MMA edition. I know what you're thinking. BC, it's been a long time since we jumped inside that cage on In This Corner. But don't you worry, because we back, baby. I back. Trust me. I back. This week, we've got another big show planned for you. Well, it's a big show.
1: It's a big man show tonight
0: how do you not get pumped up after hearing that? We'll be reacting to the circus that was the Floyd Mayweather-Conor McGregor international media tour from last week. But coming at it from strictly an MMA perspective with top-notch journalists and accomplished powerlifter, I might add, Luke Thomas of MMAfighting.com, SiriusXM XM Radio, we'll be looking at which role Dana White specifically will play in this fight, when we might see McGregor again in the octagon, and whether or not Maymac, as the kids like to call it, will be a one-off unique to to its own kind or really the beginning of a new venture overall within the fight game. We'll also be chatting with UFC Flyway Ian McCall yes Uncle Creepy himself in a long form chat that you simply won't want to miss. McCall provides the latest on his health scares including coming to terms with the fact that at 33 and two and a half years removed from his last appearance in the Octagon his fighting career could very much be over McCall will also share his take on Mayweather McGregor, squash his beef with Ronda Rousey and wonder openly how history might have been different had he edged pound for pound king Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson in their 2012 draw It's about as honest and real as it gets folks for a fighter interview this is Ian McCall unplugged and pulling no punches so buckle up for this one but hey man it's a loaded show as I mentioned as we continue to charter in a new era in MMA
2: Welcome to to the Machida era?
0: No, 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 Joe Rogan, not that era. One of my favorite eras, even if it only lasted a few months. It's a new era for the UFC, but also a new one in the podcast game, as In This Corner continues to make its move with one intention in mind: to become your number one. How do we get there? It's a good question. By slinging that untraceable dose of performance-enhancing audio. It's the kind that'll change your life and wreck your free time. As In This Corner brings the car. Carnival of combat sports coverage across three different sports. So, do me this favor if you hear something today that you like, if you see something, say something. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. Heck, drop us a line on social media using that hashtag in this corner, even if you have to. If you want to, slide into them DMs or swan dive in. B. Campbell CBS on Twitter. Ask a question. Hey, maybe we'll answer it in a future DM segment on the show. But carve out some free time and listen to our boxing and pro wrestling offerings. We want you in the end to want me. So resistance just might be futile at this point. But without any further ado, let's throw it to our first guest. Get your motor running for some Luke Thomas. (laughs) Now bringing in the host of the Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM Radio Channel 93 and a talented journalist with MMAFighting.com. Luke Thomas has pressed pause long enough from getting his gains in the weight room. Yes, to join us today on In This Corner. Luke, how is it, my man?
2: It's going well. In fact, I did blow off my gym session this morning. Just to be here with you, so you owe me, Brian. Wow, wow! No PRs
0: today for 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 the beard that <laughs> that runs the place in combat sports. I got to add before we even get into anything important here. You've you know you've built you've built your own corner, you know, in the sport in combat sports. You you're doing well. Was it a calculated life plan though to really put out this power beard and become your calling card at the, at the at the origin at the beginning of this Luke Thomas the brand days.
2: I would like to tell you that I had a grand plan and I've all executed it exactly to precision. But most of the time, I'm just fumbling from one deadline to the next. And I have a decent idea maybe here or there that I get lucky with and, uh, you know, and I've arrived at this position. So no grand plan. I'm afraid to tell you. All
0: right, all right. You know, you had the opportunity there to really seal it, to maybe sell some t shirts. You didn't take no. it though. Uh wanted to talk to you, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. You bring it. You bring you don't pull punches, right? I mean you bring it. There's no, you know, sallying around, there's no playing agendas. You kind of bring the honest take, which is what the fans expect from you. You followed this really long and ridiculous and fun and carnival Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, four-day international media tour along with me. I saw you at the Brooklyn stop day three, which was really the low point from my point of view. Did you attend to any of these other stops in person? No, no, just the Brooklyn one with you. All right. Well, you certainly have got a unique perspective covering this, being a longtime MMA journalist, many landmark UFC cards. Also, you've done the rounds on the Mayweather circuit a few times. I've seen you out there at the tail end of his career when it really was a, a clown show all to itself at times. So just to set the stage, have you ever personally seen anything that comes close to this Maymac World Tour in combat sports, from the size of the personality and egos to the, the pomp and circumstance and ridiculousness?
2: No, I can't say that I have. I mean, obviously you could appoint to, I'm sure, some sort of theatrical production. I mean, the closest equivalent would be something on Broadway or, um, you know, Hollywood. It wouldn't be this. So maybe in that sense, there's some kind of antecedent or, uh, you know, comparison to be, to be made there. But in terms of combat sports, no. In fact, I was telling people uh, the Canelo Mayweather press tour stopped in D.C., and it was at the Howard Theater, which is a historically black institution of music and arts. And when we when I went there, uh, I, I remember seeing, saying to myself like, this is sort of boring. But that was just to me like the crowd was raucous; they loved it. But the point being was, it was just Mayweather out there, and then Canelo, and then they waved, and then they faced off, and then their manager said some stuff, they said some stuff, and then they just went on the next day. It was really easy to do; they didn't have to do a whole lot. This. Require these guys to be showmen at a level that I've never seen any press conference ever ask of anyone it was It was wild and gross and cool and awful and neat (laughs) all at the same time.
0: I love that you said gross because I was leading the charge of, you know, two days too long. The final two days were disgusting. I I really went at length on my boxing podcast to break down a lot of this, but for your money, did the the last two days, those negative side effects, will that play any role in affecting the long-term pay-per-view sales, or do you think people are able to draw the line and say two things? One, this is the fight game. This is still the red light district. These guys are fighters. And two, you know, maybe these guys are a little bit more calculated than we give them credit for maybe they're literally trying to offend every possible fan and coverage base to create more you know anti-pay-per-view buys of people wanting to shut them up
2: yeah i mean look if, if it's a hard pill to swallow and uh there are even limits to even this but generally speaking fight sports don't have a place for professionalism they're just there i mean look i'm sure after a fight's over most people would prefer guys to shake hands and have their corners give the other opposing fighter water or something like that like it's (laughs) not that we we frown upon that but it's it's just not like other sports there's a certain license that these guys have to act in terribly awful disparaging ridiculous and even you know really grotesque kinds of ways and There's not really a cost. It's almost like a nihilism to it. As long as it is uh, uh, visible, right, the more visible, the better. And really, if you have to ask yourself, was this tour, did it make itself visible? Did it make the fight more visible? The answer is yes. Like, I don't think this hurts buys at all. It might turn off some of the older crowd who maybe was a little bit borderline about seeing it. Or they're like, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about it, probably not. They probably said, okay, definitely not. But I'm sure it attracted a whole lot more in between I mean, you were at that Brooklyn stop. I mean, how many times do you go to a boxing fight and you're surrounded by, on the right of me, was NFL Network to the left, Fox Business, TMZ, Inside Edition. I mean, that's who's there for this. So, yes, it was – all the things that people say about it in terms of it's good and it's bad are true, but all those things equally serve as the pay-per-view buy rate in the end.
0: Yeah, and this was uh, – a. Uh... You know, you mentioned some of the things. It was a calculated circus of the ultimate level where these two guys were able to can perform things that you don't ask of fighters. Whether you believe more in the UFC press conference model or the outdated, boring boxing press conference model. We saw kind of mixtures of both in this, right? We saw gray-haired Richard Sturm of the MGM Resorts come out and say nothing, which is what we're used to in boxing. We also saw more of an open mic feel, but still, I don't think there's any other fighters in the world, any other athletes really, if we're really being honest, that could have done at least through the first two days what these two guys did in carrying out jokes, carrying out pre-planned skits. And what that led to was was what you mentioned, a reach across the universe that we haven't seen. But the thing for me on the negativities, I don't know how many casual fans are watching every second of all four days like we as journalists did, right? Not just the, the one-hour sort of press show, but the behind-the-scenes video and print, print interviews that we saw online. I mean, it was really just, I don't know how many people are going that deep. People might surface level, catch the funny back and forth, see Floyd throwing the money. That may be enough for them to buy it. I don't know how much, how deeper they're going than that. When it comes to breaking that record, 2015, Mayweather-Pacquiao, 4.6 million buys. Luke, to me, that is still a ridiculous thing to, to throw out of my mouth. That 4.6 million groups of people paid $100 each for a one-time 36-minute fight between a defensive fighter and a and an aging fighter across from him. Will this fight break that, and will it shatter it? Because if you read even, you know, your colleague at MMA Fighting, Dave Meltzer, sort of reported that the the advertising pitch is that it may do seven million when they're trying to sell airtime hair.
2: Yeah, I mean, before I thought it would do be somewhere between Canelo, Mayweather, and then Mayweather-Pacquiao. Somewhere in that 3000000 million, three-five range. And now I don't even know. I don't even know what the ceiling is on this anymore. Because here's the th- thing. The big lesson I took out of Mayweather-Pacquiao, and I'm sure everyone else has their own, was that when you get a fight that can sell 4.6 million pay-per-view buys or more, there's not much of a fight to it. That in order to get some kind of arrangement where you can garner those kinds of returns it's not something that you can organically put together now you may say well those two guys were the first two I mean were the best two of their generation same weight class there's a lot of meritocracy to it but as we saw in the end it happened way too late and it wasn't much of a contest uh, in the end and so there was a bit of a scam to it and so to my point is this like could it do seven million I mean that seems highly unlikely to me but I really can't tell you. It's not possible. I cannot in any way say that it can't be four, six, or five, or six, or somewhere in that range. It's they have absolutely engineered some kind of scenario to maximize commerce, to maximize buys and advertising, and close circuit and gate, and then the whole nine yards. And so when that happens, man, all bets are off. I would be if I'm a prognosticator on this one in terms of financial returns. I'm going to be very much hands off and just sort of wait to see what happens because. I am absolutely of the belief whether it's at the gate or on pay-per-view, this one's going to set one kind of record, one way or the other.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And people argue against that and say, well, you know, Mayweather-Pacquiao was a real fight, right? One versus two in their division, one versus sort two of. in their era, sort of. But it had the, it was backed by the idea that it was real competition. That I don't think that matters in the end. Like, what does our society reach towards and go after? Like, like trashy reality TV. This, I mean, you see what Bellator does for success, right? They play the. Tra- trashy reality TV card to a certain degree with those MMA pornography style old guy fights. This borrows more from that than it does anything else. So I think that's why it, for me, it, there's there's no ceiling, right? I mean, it's, it's white versus black. It's MMA versus boxing. It, it really checks every possible board, but the board it checks above all are the two most ridiculous personalities. I mean, McGregor can do things to sell a fight that Manny Pacquiao never could in his dreams, right? Like that's ultimately the long-term difference for me.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Again, who was next to me? was TMZ and Inside Edition. Why is Inside Edition covering a fight? Do you think they <laughs> do you think they really care about you know whether Keith Thurman gets a fair shake in the boxing world? They couldn't tell you who he is if they put him in a lineup. I mean, it's got nothing to do with it. In fact, the whole fight itself. I mean, one of the reasons why when this fight was first even you know hinted about way back when was I was like this is this is nonsense because number one, it's not. I thought it was never going to happen. That shows how smart I am. But then, two, I was like, "Isn't this question settled? Like, you didn't didn't we figure this out already? That if you put a, a guy who's a jack of all trades against a specialist in the specialist world, we basically know what's going to happen." And it, the one thing about this fight, another reason why I think it's sort of built on um, something large. Even, well, even fight fans exhibit this, but certainly beyond the fight fan world. There's just a little bit of amnesia about this. Like, yeah, maybe it was subtle, but who cares? Let's see it again, right? <laughs> there's, there's just the, – it's, it's just this really weird, bizarre moment where, you know, you know as well as I do, three weeks later, there is something about competition and there is something about sportsmen who keep their mouths shut and they show up there. And I'm sure that will do well, but it will do literally, literally a fraction of this. This pulls at completely non-sporting, different angles of our uh, fan appreciation – and to different cross sections of life, and whenever you do that, again, making projections about it seems very foolhardy.
0: No doubt about it. Now, the, the, the main thing I wanted to have uh, you on our show and get into it is obviously the MMA side of the of how this fight came together and why this fight came, came together. The smartest thing you said is that you know you were the dummy who never thought. I, I know it was the dummy three, you know, what was it? Two weeks before the fight was announced, that was still like, guys, I've been down the Mayweather road before. This is not going to be a simple negotiation. People aren't just going to get out of the way that can have a reason to screw up this and make it a cloudier battle than it needs to be. I thought Dana White would be someone who would get in the way. Obviously, I was the idiot not realizing that people would come to such such willingness at the amount of money. I mean, heck, I watched Mayweather and Pacquiao not succumb to that amount of money for five and a half years, so maybe I'm jaded, but I want to talk to you about the UFC's role because from your perspective— why ultimately did they step aside and just roll out the red carpet on this calendar year and say, okay, Connor, you go down this road. We're going to follow you. We're going to take our chunk, but we're not going to take you to court. We're not going to, you know, we're just going to get out of the way. That seemed like a pretty dramatic 180 to me when you look back over the last six months.
2: Yeah. So it's, I think, two reasons. Number one, it's a down year. Um, you know, if you look at what just happened at USC 213, yes, the main event fell out at the last minute, but the bigger question was, even had it been there, what kind of buy rate would it have done? One of the big problems the UFC faces is not merely the absence of Conor McGregor and Ronda insofar as in octagon appearances are concerned. Obviously, McGregor is fighting Mayweather, but um, it's that there is an erosion of the upper middle class, as I like to call it, of pay-per-view stars. It used to be you know, getting a guy to go above a million was a really big deal, and it still is, of course. That will always be a very interesting threshold for any fighter, uh, boxer or MMA fighter, to cross. The problem is... They used to have a lot of guys who could reliably draw above 500000 above 700000 And that category of fighter, for whatever reason, is not around right now. They really need this. Uh, you could talk about the WME purchase and how they have to finance all that debt. That's part of it. But I just think that the financial windfall was so great that they couldn't say no, especially given reason two. And reason two is that for folks who may not realize, there's a clause in every UFC contract, including McGregor's, that says, that the sole combat sports promoter this fighter has is the UFC, whether that's boxing or kickboxing wow. or whatever. Allowances can be made on a, on a you know per-event basis to waive that, which is why you've seen UFC fighters compete in grappling tournaments or things like that. The UFC will essentially waive it. So what happened was Conor McGregor got his boxing license, and MMA is regulated by the state but not the federal government. And boxing is poorly regulated by the federal government, but it does have the Muhammad Ali Act. And without getting too more technical about it, the long story short is there is a belief by some legal experts that the UFC contract runs directly headlong into the Muhammad Ali Act. And what I think Connor was attempting to do was say, I'm going to use the Muhammad Ali Act to show that this contract with the UFC is null and void. Think about what that means. If he wins in court and you know, no one wants to go to court, that's bad optics to begin with. And a down year, you're taking your best fighter to court. They don't want to do that. But even if they did do that, imagine if he won. This now kills that UFC contract for all fighters. Nate Diaz could take a boxing match. Anderson Silva could take a Roy Jones fight. They could do whatever they wanted because it would prove that that was not a real thing. So they wanted to preserve that rather than challenge it. Just ride it. See what happens. Get money and hope for the best.
0: That is really interesting. There's a lot of things that you hit on there at once as to the mindset and what that could have led. Do you think, you know, two years ago, had this come up, the Fertitas would have been able to silence this when they had more control back then?
2: Yes. Yes, they absolutely probably would have. I mean, they, 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 their history is they have no problems not merely taking fighters to court, but their stars. Um, but that's been in years where they had explosive growth and ran, we, where's Randy Couture gonna fight? HD Net fights. Exactly. That was proposed for a while, you know. Conor McGregor's a different animal altogether. This is a much bigger star. This is a much more of a down year. This is a much bigger purchase with WME. It was just, well, you know, it's amazing. Everyone talks about Mayweather's timing, not merely in the ring, but out of it. You know, getting Cotto a little bit off peak. You know, getting Maidana. Uh, I think style matchup that that favors him. Ultimately, he's always sort of picking guys at just the right moment. Pacquiao the same and Connor's that way too. Connor has excellent timing inside the octagon. He's got even better timing in terms of his business arrangements right outside of it.
0: Yeah, there was definitely a perfect storm with all the things you mentioned. The need to pay off that debt from the UFC's new ownership. The lack of star power for the first half of 2017 and it reminds me to a weird degree when you talk about the the risk that's being taken to your top star of WWE in 2016 allowing Brock Lesnar to go to UFC 200 when SummerSlam is a month later, right? Like there's the the potential of injury and so sort of, you know, uh, of hurting your future business. Now, we assumed from what we know of that inside deal that, you know, Vince McMahon was getting something to allow that at that time. Certainly he had a a string of commercials on uh, on UFC 199, right? And on UFC 200, that sort of was part of it. What do you think the UFC is getting to allow Conor to do this outside of a lump sum? Do you think it ends there?
2: Man... This is another scenario where, dude, I really hesitate to say a whole lot about this. I don't, you know, Connor's all about escalation, but do they want guarantees he won't do this anymore? I don't know. Um, How do they protect, how how do they even get him back to the Octagon if he winds up making, let's say, the $100 if this sells, you know, about five, six million pay-per-view buys? It's a great question, and it's an important one, but it's one that I am very hesitant to say anything about because, there are so many variables here and not merely at least of which would be how the fight goes itself what happens if he gets embarrassed you know what happens if he shocks the world what happens if it's something boring what happens if it's something yeah. exciting all of these things can affect everything that happens after it so I'm very hesitant to say a whole lot about yeah, that, Yeah, no doubt about it.
0: I'm also very hesitant to lose my uh, press credential, by the way. And that's a real thing in today's day and age. I mean, we can't dance around that. But, but not going deeper on that, uh, you look at this from a bigger picture here. When the fight was announced... Dana White, during that original teleconference, was, you know, said, hey, is this the beginning of future crossovers? We saw Stipe Miocic tweet out the same day the fight was announced, he wants Anthony Joshua. You know, the year before, we saw an angry Jose Aldo saying, I want to fight Miguel Cotto in boxing. I want to get big money. Dana, at that point, said, you know, no, essentially saying this is a a unique one-off all into itself. But Luke... The biggest two words I took away from this press tour from an MMA perspective were the two words printed on Dana's shirt two of the four days that said Zufa boxing, right? Like that opens up a whole new thought process. Now, when Dana was asked by reporters, you know, including myself, what does that mean? You know, he sort of gave you the either the wait and see answer or, or, you know, we can't talk about it yet. What did that mean to you? What's because that's a statement. You're not you know, he's he's choosing his, his wardrobe wisely, as wisely as Connor coming out in the white, you know, mink coat. What did that statement mean to you?
2: So I actually asked him about it directly in the New York stop. And I said, do you intend to promote boxing fights? And he said, I don't know. We'll see. And I was like, that's not a no. He's like, yeah, it's not a no. And. I was shocked by that. I didn't think he'd ever want to get into that. I don't know what it means exactly or specifically, but it does remind me of when the UFC was up for sale and everyone was reporting it was up for sale. He went on, uh, God, whose show was it? Was it Dan Patrick? I can't remember whose show it was. And they asked him, hey, is the UFC for sale? And he was like, it's not not for sale. You know, it's the exact (laughs) same way of answering that question, which is basically a yes. And he smiled when he said it. You know, as you you pointed out, he wore that shirt not merely at the Toronto stop, but the Brooklyn stop as well. And so I I, I was told that it wasn't anything, that it was merely some kind of an arrangement to offset potential insurance risks without much, you know, so for example, Strikeforce was under not Zufa, but Forza, right? So if something happened to the company and went under, uh, it wouldn't bring down all of Zufa, it would just bring down Forza. So something like that. But it, it was never really fleshed out and explained in great detail to me, and then, I was told that before I asked Dana about Zufa Boxing, and that's when he told me what it was. So to me, there's something to that. The complexion we could probably debate, and again, this is all the more shocking, but you know, in a down year, uh, here we are. And the funny part about it was, remember, he had that failed TV show on the Discovery Channel where he wanted to tell the stories of up-and-coming boxers. They got canceled because of yes, bad ratings. good call. But, but he, he likes boxing. I mean, Dana White kind of over-exaggerates his boxing credentials, I think, a little bit. But just one thing you cannot take away from him. He is a real deal fight fan. I mean, whatever else you want to say about him, good or bad, you cannot take that away from the guy. And so maybe he wants to get back into the boxing promoting on some kind of level. Sure. He knows how to do it better now than he once did.
0: Well, here's what that screamed to me is that we know sort of the the mythology narrative of why the UFC is so successful. Right. It's it's you know, it's more or less three. Boxing fans. Dana himself was in a small level trying to get in the boxing business, right, as a trainer, manager, whatever, at that point. They sort of picked up this dying sport of MMA, injected it with the things they don't see in their favorite sport, boxing, that they wish they had seen, you know, went through a lot of financial hardships, turned it into an empire, now have a ridiculous amount of money in their bank account from selling it last year. And Dana, of course, still on with the UFC now in in, in his president role. But it shows me that, like, these guys are still competitors, right? In the business sense, they love boxing. They know that as high as they got the UFC brand to, that 1% in boxing in the wild, wild west that still is the sweet science still gets you more money than anything that can happen in the UFC. It showed me that these guys are smart and hungry enough to say, Let's go for it. I mean, a lot of people have gotten into boxing promotion with big names from Sugary Leonard to Roy Jones to 50 Cent to Jay-Z and not had success and blew a lot of money trying. The one thing these three guys have are a lot of money and a lot of success in promoting fights and their boxing fans. I think this is really obvious to me, right? Like, for me personally, I'm saying this fight, if it kills – Maybe it's the beginning. There's there's a cloudy issue in that. Right. Like, how does this play in with UFC fighters? If Zufa involves the Fertittas who are no longer UFC owners, where does Dana fit in? Is he playing both sides? I mean, it's a cloudy area, but I think it's not just a conspiracy. It seems like it makes a lot of sense.
2: Right. And the other part about this is, uh, you know, what is this presser really like? Look at the audience. It's an MMA audience that was there. And everyone's saying it's an MMA press conference. Well, sort of. It's an MMA press conference on steroids. Or I mean it was it was set up it was set up like a boxing press conference where, you know, people it, it, for folks who may not realize an MMA or UFC anyway, Dana White gets up there and says, Hey, who's got the first question? And then the fighters no one polices how they talk to each other, so it becomes a melee, especially if Connor's up there doing what he does. This was more of a boxing structure, but it turned into like an MMA pep rally. But I think the point you made is like is as follows. Like one of the things they kept saying was You know, boxing did X, and we knew X was bad, so we did Y. All the way down to press conferences, all the way down to presentation, all the way down to you name it. They always felt like there were so many things wrong they wanted to fix, that the UFC was the antidote to that, uh, but it was just a different sport. Now maybe they're saying, why don't we take that same antidote mentality that has worked for us in the UFC and bring it right back to boxing? And I wonder, you know, look, Al Heyman's been a part of these negotiations. Maybe they have some kind of good arrangement with Al Heyman. His PBC thing hasn't worked out, uh, or not as he anticipated, I would suspect. Um, Perhaps they have some kind of discussion going on. And I I realize I'm speculating, but I think you have to at least consider these possibilities. And and more to the point, um, in addition to sort of whatever uh, general interest they might have or, or Heyman's involvement, if this entire effort turns out to be as successful as we think it does, what kind of credibility are they buying with boxing audiences, in terms of the perceived power of the UFC to promote boxing stars and boxing fights. Maybe they don't want to get into the boxing business where they're putting on you know, shows at Caesars or something. <laughs> I mean, do they even still have shows at Caesars? I don't even know. No, no, no. The, you, been, you,
0: they'll, be, they'll be with Gary Shaw in his tracksuit at some Indian casino in the state of Washington if they keep Yeah,
2: exactly. But maybe the big guys, maybe the big stars, maybe they think, huh, if, this, if they can get these guys this kind of money, even if I get half that, a quarter of that, I'll be killing it. So it, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Well, you
0: mentioned a, a hot a thing that jumped out to my conspiracy ears right there when you said the word Al Heyman and Dana and how everyone talks about how great they got along and it was the easiest deal. You know, Stephen Espinosa, the weasel, saying it was the easiest deal they, they ever signed.
2: Poor Stephen.
0: Poor Stephen, by the way, the new the new heel in the world. What What jumps out when I hear that is Hey, wasn't there something weird we picked up from this four-day press tour? The fact that Floyd, at every possible turn, tried his best to kiss Dana White's ass and apologize publicly to him and keep his quote-unquote bag puffed up the best he could while he's taking shots at Conor? Maybe there's something going on. I love conspiracies. Maybe Floyd wants to float more of his Mayweather promotion fighters at some of Dana's no-name MMA guy. Who knows, right? It's all a gray area. I'm just saying some of those, there's some smoke. There's some smoke at the very least, Luke Thomas, that came out of there, all right? There is, I'm not there crazy. Is,
2: there is some smoke. You're right. They got along in a way that I never expected. Now, Steven Espinosa and Dana White probably had a few more issues than everybody else, but but again, like they, it was so easy breezy. It was so just shockingly hand in glove, and then he starts wearing these T-shirts, and then he doesn't deny he's interested in promoting boxing, your mind begins to wander, and I think that's not necessarily unfair. We just have to sort of manage our expectations here about what it ultimately all could mean. Yes.
0: Three quick ones on the way out to wrap up here, Luke Thomas. Number one, if you had to guess, based on the information you took from this four-day press tour, which was confusing, it was, it was both sides of, of the mouth here, when does Conor return to the octagon again, and against whom?
2: Provided his loss to Mayweather, if in fact it is a loss, provided the loss is not devastating, where he's like starched or badly KO'd, I do suspect he'll return late 2017, early 2018.
0: And he had mentioned Nate Diaz in a trilogy or Habib Nurmagomedov. I mean, that probably makes sense, right?
2: Uh, I know Nate Diaz's people really want that fight. They want want Connor right after Floyd, but... We'll see what Habib has to say about that, or right. Tony Ferguson, potentially.
0: True, true true, or false, the worst thing that can happen to the UFC is McGregor pulling the upset.
2: No, that is not the worst thing that could happen. It would prevent him probably from ever returning because it would force a rematch, and if it was a rematch, that certainly would break any and all records. I mean, I would consider that to be a bigger upset than Buster Douglas defeating Mike Tyson. I don't care what the odds say. I believe in terms of sporting accomplishments, that would be borderline miraculous. <laughs> so I'm not trying to dismiss his chances. I'm just simply trying to give proper context. If he does that, that, that needs to be one of the greatest sporting upsets that be considered as such uh, of all time. But it would be such a financial windfall for them that it wouldn't be the worst scenario. The worst scenario would be, as I mentioned before, let's say he gets badly, viciously KO'd in the second. I don't see that as particularly likely either. But then now yes, you get the payday, but does he come back? What's going to happen? Could you really use him again? Would he be psychologically damaged? That would be worse.
0: You know, somebody asked me, what's the best upset you could compare this to? And they, they they responded with a text before I could and said, what? It's probably Tyson Douglas, right? I was like, no, it's more like LT Bam Bam Bigelow from WrestleMania 11. That's the best comparison I can give you. They're like, that's pro wrestling. I'm like, exactly. Anyway, on the way out here, finally, you are somebody who breaks down things from a technical standpoint on your Monday. Is it Monday morning analyst? Is that what we're calling it these days? Yes. I, I love it. I love the detail, the minutia, the inside baseball there as you break it down. The average boxing fan is saying Conor has no chance. He probably has some chance. So from an MMA technical perception and point of view, how would you best explain Conor's technical and physical chances of pulling this upset? Uh,
2: I would say they're pretty small. Uh, I mean, everyone's like he's not going to lay a glove on him. I I just find that a little hard to believe. Um, But I also, uh, you know, the question is not does Mayweather barely win? Or, you know, in other words, everyone is saying it's like a KO or not KO contest. But that's not what it is. All Mayweather has to do enough is win enough to win seven rounds, more or less, right? Unless it's a two-point round somewhere. But that's really all he has to do. Can, can Do I believe that Floyd Mayweather is likely to win seven rounds against Conor McGregor? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't think that. I just think you need to consider this. You know, yes, Conor's a little bit bigger. I'm sure he has some power. Uh, I don't know that his power is unique relative to Canelo. But, you know, let's just sort of say it's really good. Whenever you see an MMA guy cross over into a related sport when they come from MMA and they go there, what you often find is that there is something a little bit different about them. And I always sort of point to, I know it's jiu-jitsu, and maybe your audiences don't know this, but there was a special jiu-jitsu match, it was a no-gi match, between a guy who is a decorated, high-level black belt, uh, who does only jiu-jitsu, his name is JT Torres, and he went against uh, a former UFC, now Bellator star, Rory McDonald. And Rory was bigger and a little bit stronger, and at first... I wouldn't say gave JT some problems, but one of the things he was able to do was whenever he got in trouble on the ground, he was able to just stand right up. Now that sounds like nothing, but trust me, that's a big deal. To The ability to simply reset from a bad position physically because getting up off the bottom in MMA is such a massive priority. Right. I mean, think about it. You don't want to be underneath on the bottom of MMA if you don't have to be. And so these guys have the skills to get off the bottom very easily. Um, but it was once JT adapted to that that it was basically game over for him. That's when the real differences begin to show. So look, Connor says he's going to KO him in four. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true, but that probably does tell you that's where he thinks he's going to do his best work. So I think those four rounds, let's see how Floyd deals with some of the differences that may arise, whether it's being at a different kind of range or different kinds of setups. But I think once Floyd makes those reads, it's likely to be game over at that point.
0: Very, very interesting breakdown. That's what they will pay to see in the end. Let's just hope we get something worth watching. Luke Thomas, you've been generous with your hey, time. Hey, are you going? Of course, of course. You yeah, better believe it. Right. Come on. It, it, not only is it bring together my three combat sports, because you had the wrestling angle in there, no doubt, but it's a slop Super Bowl of only the Bellator variety. You know I love that stuff. Come
2: on. Yeah, Come. you do.
0: Come on. Where can they find you on social media, Luke Thomas?
2: Uh, uh, Luke Thomas news. So Instagram.com slash Luke Thomas news and Facebook.com slash Luke Thomas news.
0: Listen to the Luke Thomas show. That's every afternoon. Is that what's a four o'clock? Is that what the people should be doing?
2: Yep. Four to six on Sirius XM channel 93.
0: Find your video podcast on MMA fighting on YouTube. Luke, thank you for your time. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, man. Great stuff right there from Luke Thomas giving us plenty to think about in terms of what the long-term impact of Mayweather McGregor is going to be on the UFC, on Dana White, on much, much more. Hey, there was even a lot of conspiracy juice to stir into your drink and get you aroused. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. Up next, UFC Flyweight Ian McCall, who you haven't seen in the Octagon for quite some time, and that is for good reason. Get ready for a revealing look into the mind of a matured fighter who's been through his own personal hell over the past few years and finds himself at the crossroads of his career. Enjoy. Pleased to welcome in UFC Flyweight Ian McCall. Yes, we're getting creepy here on the In This Corner podcast. Been a long time since we've seen you rock and roll in the cage, but seeing you very active on Twitter. How are you doing these days, man?
1: Uh, you know, I get—I guess I could be worse.
0: Dude, that's a good way to look at it, right? Some perspective in there.
1: I, I've basically—I—I I, I have a media company that's behind me. You know, they—they—they they, they help me run all my social media, my podcast, all the stuff. And we just decided we don't have any—you know—we—we want we anything else to do. I can't fight, so why not? Try and become kind of media, I guess. I'm, I don't really want to call myself MMA media because, I don't know, it's silly. But uh, just like talking and messing around and the whole show of uh, Mayweather McGregor. Um, just a, it's just the perfect opportunity to, to try and talk. I mean, I, I've been getting close to a million impressions every week on my on my uh, social media.
0: Well, that's where it jumped out to me. I follow you uh, on Twitter, of course, as a fighter. But during this Mayweather-McGregor World Tour that's, you know, taking the sports world by hostage, I, I see you playing a big role in that. The, the Uncle Creepy's right in the middle of that. So do you feel like this is the beginning of a transition, or is it just sort of, of you know, fighter to journalist, or just sort of toeing the waters and seeing where we go here?
1: Uh, toe in the waters, you know, I, 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 man, I can't write to save my life, uh, but I have a lot going on in my brain, so that might work, you know, like, uh, I don't know, we've, I gotta say, we get close to a million impressions every week on my Twitter alone, you know, we don't even factor in Instagram and everything else, so if it, it, it works, it works, if I can make money doing it, then great, um, but it's just something I... I'm just bored. I'm going crazy right now. I can't. I barely work out. I, I can't fight. Uh, it's hard to make money, so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out different ways of of making income and, and being happy for once.
0: <laughs> no doubt. The Twitter account we're mentioning is at Uncle Creepy MMA. Let's get to the bottom. Let's update the fans who don't know exactly where you are. You know, the stats tell us we haven't seen you in the cage since January 2015. We know that there's been five fights canceled from now until then. What is your current status on health, on plans, on moving forward?
1: Oh, my health sucks, man. Um, you know, I, I get in the gym, and I'm finally feeling physically good, which took, you know, since, what, February of this year? Um, I haven't worked out yet this week. For the last maybe three weeks, I've kind of been getting, you know, maybe three, maybe four type workouts a weekend. I'm hitting pads again. I'm not sparring. You know, my, my brain is off. Um, there's a lot of issues going on. I mean, people know the issues of me passing out and throwing up and that whole thing for the last year, but there's been some other other neuro, neuro issues that I've had that are um, they're really scary, for one, but uh, you know, it's hard to deal with. Like I, I went to a neurologist who's a, a, a friend of mine who's one of the best neurologists on the planet. And he goes, listen, there's probably something wrong in two parts of your body. I think it's your brain and your heart. So I'm supposed to go check into the, uh, Scripps Institute in San Diego and spend about 10,000 dollars. I don't have on tests that I can't afford. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I can't do that. So, so I'm kind of in a hole where I can't, I can't figure out what's wrong with me. But, uh, as of today, I talked to Jeff Nowitzki, um, well, I talk to Jeff all the time because we've strangely become good friends and, and close. I don't want to say strangely because uh, he had a, people had a bad outlook on him in the first place. Right. But um, hey, guy, he's helped me a lot. He set me up with a, a brain study and this some program they have uh, down in San Diego that I'm going to be doing. Um, there's other athletes there, military guys. and I, I told him, like, if this is going to help me and it can help others, with, with brain with brain issues, then I'm gonna talk about it. I don't care if people know that I'm doing this because I want to help. You know, if if another young fighter, fight, old fighter, whoever it is, can, can get some sort of benefit out of this, then then uh, my job's done. You know, I'm getting free treatment finally, um, and I haven't started, but I'll, I'll start this week for sure. And uh, it's it's a lot to think about. You know, if if my brain's deteriorating with with TBI or. or uh, you know that sort of thing. Then, right. then yeah, I'm done fighting. I, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play that game. I'm not that tough. You know, I'm not. I don't care that much. I have a family and a mortgage and and people to take care of. So um, I'm in a really weird spot, but I think I'll have it figured out soon.
0: When did you first sort of feel any any physical inkling that this wasn't a you know a one off illness or one off injury that would keep you out for one fight? That this was something bigger.
1: well the last year or so, I've been trying to get ready for fights. I guess it's been over a year now. Um, I I've been in the hospital like five or six times, Man. and people didn't. People only knew know about two of them. You know, people people know about the the, the ones with UFC. Uh, but yeah, I had to go to the emergency room another handful of times, and it, it's, it's rough, you know. Uh, and then once I, I I'm all, I've always been incredibly healthy. I eat. I eat it's almost annoying at times how, how how particular I am and how, like, it's all the food that I make is so healthy. And I, and I of course, I shove it down my daughter's throat, my wife's throat, <laughs> but it's good. You know, it's, it's, it's what I'm good at. I'm also working with Perfecting Athletes, another doctor over there that I actually have to fill out all the paperwork, I've lagged on that, but um, I, I finally have a good few things to do, a few people that are going to help me, doctors and institutes that, Will help me figure it out. I mean, if I if I can come out of this and be you know physically fit and ready, and mentally fit, and not have the worries of brain damage or anything crazy, um, then yeah, of course I'll fight again. But we've got we have a road ahead of us that I have to get I have to figure out first.
0: No doubt. I th- I think it's you know it's courageous to. To not ignore, I know your, you know, your body has made it to a point that you can't ignore this. But it's incur- it's courageous to stand out and sort of say, I want to get to the bottom of this. Uh, did you did you think it's been years of a culture of guys just a- avoiding the reality of their own, you know, injuries and physical reactions to, to how you know much of a grind this sport can be?
1: Oh, that's a big part of it. You know, I. I... I've hurt myself in doing other things you know I, I wanted to do a pro snowboarding when I was a kid and I hit my head real bad put myself in the hospital for a few days um asleep so that wasn't good And that was when I was like 16 and you gotta think from then on I've been getting punched in the head every day pretty much um that you know my well publicized drug overdose where I, I was actually dead, I mean, I was in the hospital for 10 days, so, like, there's things in my brain that other people haven't dealt with, Right. You know, I, I know I'm not, I know I'm not punchy, I know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty intelligent, I guess, for a fighter, <laughs> but, uh, I didn't say much, um, but I, I just, I, I, I do a lot of due diligence, a lot of research on things, like diet, exercise, now with the brain stuff, I'm, I'm constantly looking things up, and, I, I, there there's ways to get around it you know I, I'm also trying to talk to Dr Mark Gordon um, Andrew Mars the Navy seal set, tries trying to set me up with him, but you know that's all hormone therapy it, that's all like actual hormone therapy, so I wouldn't be able to fight doing that either mm-hmm. so there there's options out there for people to fix themselves uh, and, and not through you know SSRIs or this other nonsense that that doctors are passing out um, it, it, that's just horrible. You know, uh, uh, of course, I'm I'm not going to condone like doing steroids and all this hormone stuff, but I need it. You know, I I need certain things in my body that obviously they're not being produced. I have to run tests to make sure that's what that's the problem. But, you know, you you have to look at every option available. And and that's that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm 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 running a, a part of a cannabis cannabis brand have it cbd.com um you know and, and if people don't know about cannabis or cbd it, it's, it's a neuroprotectant anti-inflammatory it's got a lot of good things in it and and I, i'm doing everything in my power to try and make myself better you know a big part of it is inflammation so i fish oils or cbd or all kinds of other stuff to help inflammation it's really really big but you have to do it consistently and and it's a lifestyle change that's what people
0: don't understand you know do you look at, at it almost as a blessing in disguise that you had so many fights fall apart somewhere of your your own injuries your own you know issues with with cutting weight that one time but other times it was opponents falling out when you look at the totality of two and a half years physically was that the best thing that could have happened for you to now be in a spot where you want to sort of find the answers to your health
1: no, because before that, before I started training for that fight, my health problem was my shoulder. You know, I actually signed to fight Justin Scoggins uh, laughing. I was like, my body's not going to make it through training camp. I can barely throw a, a hard punch with my right right arm. You know, I've had seven surgeries on my right arm. I got bulging discs that affect both my arms in my neck. And uh, I've had two bad infections in this arm. So I, 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 was, I didn't retire, but I kind of started to think about it. And, uh, and then... I, I, my coach asked me to sign the fight, and he said, "I'm a good dog." So I said, "Yes, sir." You know, he he, he had it out for Justin Scoggins because Justin Scoggins, you know, be a, a teammate of mine, Josh Sampo and and you know, my coach wanted me to kick his ass. So I said, "Sure, yes, sir." You know, and, and we started training. And I, as I'm training, I got an MRI, and my, my surgeon is of, obviously he's done a lot of surgeries on me. But a friend of mine, he goes, uh, "Well, you know, since you did all the stem cell and stuff, your shoulder is better than I thought." He's like it's structurally amazing. Unless you do something catastrophic, you're fine. He's like, do you want to fight? I said yes. I said okay. Well, stopping a b- get in the gym. It's gonna suck. It's gonna really suck. He's like, but but push through. And I did. And it did. He was right. It sucked horribly. You know. But it's, I had to I had to break through, it, and I did. And then it, everything just went to it went to shit because I had to fight with Justin. And they, they got rid of him for, you know, reasons. He couldn't make weight. And then mm-hmm. Ray Borg got sick. And then uh, there was a fight in between there that got canceled. And the, the two Neil Siri fights was when my health really took a turn. Um, I, I had maybe ended up in the hospital. I think I mean, I was already passing out when I started – to work, to, you know, to get ready for the Scoggins fight, and, and was throwing up a little bit, but it wasn't as bad. It's just got progressively worse. And, and I mean, now it doesn't happen all the time. When it when it does happen, oh, it, it's it, it, I'll be, you know, I'm out for a week. I'm, I'm I won't even go to the hospital anymore. You know, I I the only thing they're gonna give me is an IV. And I'm not allowed to take those. So uh, I, I just – I know what they're going to say. They're going to charge me money and they're going to stick an IV in my arm and just say, okay, you know, you're, you're this is it. But it, it's it, – or give me drugs, give me painkillers that I don't need. You know, like give me morphine or some shit that I'm like, this is only going to cause me issues.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like
1: being a, being a former addict, or I guess you're always an addict once you're not. Um, you know, how do you – one school.
0: It, it's hard for anyone, you know, really in any pr- profession to sort of separate the identity of themselves from who they are within their job. It's become such an important identify, you know, identifiable piece of who we are in this society. I think especially for a fighter who's becomes this public figure because of it. Now that you're in the middle of dealing with the, the possible reality of, of of never fighting again, is that, you know, harder to deal with off the start that, than you ever imagined?
1: Um, it, it's hard, you know, I, uh, I just keep looking at my kids and my wife, that's all it is, you know, I, I, they don't care if I fight, they don't, they don't care, you know, like of course they want me to fight, that's the thing, they know how much I love it, this is all I've ever done, I went professional at 18, I went professional in 2002, most people don't know that, I've been fighting my entire life, you know, I, I they tried to get me to go pro, Chris Brennan tried to get me to go pro at 16, to go fight someone in like, Cibola Casino, you know, at some Indian reservation, and I, I didn't do it luckily because I think I was way too young for that. But um, uh, they know that this is my life. This is all my daughter's ever seen me do. You know, she's she knows I have a podcast. She doesn't really get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and and I, I say I'm done fighting before my wife says it. She's like, no, he's gonna fight again. We just have to get him healthy. And it, the 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 issues I talk about with my brain: it's depression, it's being bipolar, it's having these bouts of. Like uh, anger or whatever, and granted they're not that bad, but I, I and I'm able to step back and go, okay, like this is what's happening. I can control my, my my emotions at this point. So uh, I, I, all it really takes is one more big knockout or something to just throw you into the spiral. And I'm like, I don't
0: want it, I, I don't want these symptoms to get worse, right? You
1: know, if I get worse, and, and and look at a guy like Chris Benoit, okay, from you know my wife who worked with him for years to all the other friends that we have that worked with him at WWF. He was an amazing person and he's always been painted out to be a monster for what he did. And he was the best father, the best you know, husband, all this stuff. And whatever it was that drove it to him, obviously, you know, uh, traumatic brain injury and, and steroids or drugs or I, I don't know. I, I honestly I'm just I'm just throwing things out there um, that that can affect your brain that can make you do crazy shit. You know, so I'm 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 gonna fix it before any of that even even starts to happen. I'm, I'm not gonna play that game. I like my life, and I love
0: my family, and and I have to think about them first. That's that's the main part. Yeah, no, no question about it. it's a very sober way to look at it, and sort of you know, iron out whether it's Benoit, whether it's somebody like Junior Seau to see these guys that, that yeah. went to such great heights. And then there's that turn you mentioned that that's unforeseen when you're dealing with the brain. Have you learned anything about yourself going through this process, you know, of, of, of sort of trying to find answers, dealing with the possibility of, of, of charting out a new, you know, direction in your life? Oh uh, man. Um,
1: well, most of my life most of my career for you know a large portion of it is just all smoke and mirrors you know uh, just to be cool and just to play the social media game which i've done very well you know that's why i have a good it's a good size following you know i've never had to buy any followers it's always been organic you know and it's growing at a, at a really good rate but uh, uh, trying to find myself is a, bit, a big thing you know that that's uh, and especially when you grow up, you know, having kids and, and the life where you have to, to, to change from a young man to an adult to a parent, like, you, you – I'm still in the process, I guess. I'm still trying to figure out what it is I'm trying to do. You know, most of the work I do do now, like – you know, my wife runs a charity. I run a company that I'm trying to tie into a bunch of charities because I know what you know, cannabis and CBD can do for, for me- medically for people. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's it's how I control my wife's seizures with her epilepsy. It's how I control my daughter's you know rheumatoid arthritis. Which she, you see your own kid diagnosed at two and a half with rheumatoid arthritis. She can't walk. She can't think. You you, you do whatever it takes. You know, and this was this was three years ago when when cannabis was just coming out of the closet i guess of sorts you could say where it was like you know this is okay people like dr sanjay gupta had just done some stuff you know uh some some video stuff for um for cnn i don't know if you ever watched that but dr sanjay gupta is amazing and he really cast a good light on it and this was right before my daughter was diagnosed so i'm able to to talk to nutritionists and doctors scientists other athletes who have ra and they've, they've helped me you know change a lot it's the same thing I do with my wife's epilepsy I I I do the research because it's my job to take care of them and and I I can't I can't be getting pushed around in a wheelchair doing on myself when I'm supposed to be you know uh taking care of a family I'm supposed to be taking my daughter to 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 you know her riding lessons or playing polo or you know jumping and my son to every other sport he's amazing at or my wife wants to go do anything it's I'm a man and I was raised right and and I know that I have responsibilities so if I have to give up the one thing that that Selfish, yeah, I love more than, than any other thing I've ever done. You know, besides family and that, um, <clears throat> then then I have to. That's so so be it. I don't care. I've had an amazing run. I was a world champion. I, I mean, granted, I, I didn't make much money doing it.
2: <laughs> I,
1: <laughs> a, I made I made a lot more than than people would expect. You know, I know I did uh, because of you know my agent, my my marketability. But uh, whatever. I, I I I live in the, the land of opportunity. I live in Southern California. Well, you know, I've got a bunch of bunch of rich and famous friends. I can I can I can make myself a good living and be happy. That's it's, it's totally totally it's totally feasible.
0: Well that that's you know obviously great to hear considering what you've endured that 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 you have the the visions of an exit plan of a transition not a, you know a transition into a into a new direction in place. You have like you mentioned the marketability, the social media platform, the name, the the nickname, the mustache, all the good things that that go with that that can help you did you begin to feel a responsibility to use that towards some of the things you mentioned, whether it be bringing awareness to to brain injuries, bringing awareness to, to, to cannabis, things like that? When did that sort of trigger into you like, you know, I can use this this platform for this calling to maybe help others? It's it's. Pretty recently. I mean, I've always thought
1: about it. It's always been something that I go, okay, I want to do this because I've worked with Ronald McDonald. I've worked with Wounded Warriors. I've worked with Make-A-Wish. I, I've worked with a million foundations. Uh, you know, One Step Closer, which is the one my, my wife helps run. It's a cerebral policy charity. I mean, I, I, I try and do as much good as possible. Um, and and to now look at it and go, okay, this might be it. This is, this might be what I do. This might be, you know, with documentaries. Uh, A a documentarian, Um, Nathan Atfall, he just came. They just won a bunch of awards for a a documentary he did on on Huntington's disease. And Huntington's disease is a mixture of of ALS, Parkinson's, and a few other things. Um, And he's, you know, I'm trying to help him, you know, obviously get funding, but also get the awareness through all these diseases, you know, and and push it and build these documentaries and and help him any way I can. And it's, it's, it's something that I really, I really really like doing. I, I like helping people and giving awareness of all kinds of things. I mean, this world is filled with all kinds of shitty things that happen, but it's also filled with a lot of amazing things. So if, if you can you know, work through the hard stuff, negate it any way possible, and then uh, find what makes you happy you know, or, or do things to make other people happy, because in turn, that won't make you happy, make you feel better. Obviously, we all need to make money. So if you can, if you can monetize all that somehow, and, and not look like an asshole by monetizing <laughs> other people's sickness and, and things, you know, then, uh, then you're doing it right, you know, because there are some people, a lot of charities out there that do, they make millions of dollars. And then you look at the person who runs it in their house, and you're like, wow, you're really rich. Like, this is weird. But that's that's just business i guess you know i mean a lot of charities give a very small percentage of what they make to to the actual charity um, and, and i know this because I, I have owned a business that was a nonprofit and and, and i get it i i i understand it more than most and it's pretty pretty weird but if you do it the right way you know then then i think you can you can have it you know both sides. You can make money and also make everyone happy.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, this is you know I, I'm not sure every every MMA fan new to the exact detail uh, uh, of what you were going through, but you know also really of of where your head is at of the positives and and the the bright outlooks that you do see and in, in the in the plans you have. You know if this is the end of MMA. So I, I you know I applaud you in that regard for you know being in a crappy situation but but you know grabbing it by the horns and, and pushing forward in the right direction certainly uh you know from what fancy is is the funny guy on Twitter the guy breaking it down we saw you breaking down you know the the Mayweather McGregor carnival for all it was this week you know to step away from from sort of the more serious aspects and just focus on that circus carnival what was your take uh, of seeing boxing and MMA collide in a way that we didn't think would ever happen.
1: It was a fail, honestly. I tried to hype it up because I thought it was going to fix itself. <laughs> I thought it was going to do better than it did. But, uh, you know, you, the, honestly, the problem was, and if people don't know production and things like that, um, Mayweather, is take, his company has taken over production of this. So they, they, they've done it the whole time. And I'm sorry, but they, they suck at it. <laughs> horrible. And boxing promotion is horrible. It's all about rap and, oh, cool, you've got rap songs, and you know, made after you and you're, you're pulling me with it and you give me my bag and yeah. And like you're, your whole nonsense is scripted. The whole thing was scripted. You know, you have his big juice head guys and confronting, you know, Voltron, whatever he said. And then like, really? Come on. That's just it's so fake. And and even if you go back to the very first show where they cut Conor's mic and you have, you have all this, the, the people from Showtime, oh, we didn't do that. No way. You guys are full of shit. Like this whole thing is so – it's so stupid. And I know if the UFC would have done it, it would have been produced much better. You know. And, and you have someone like, like Floyd. Okay, obviously we all know he can't read. Uh, he's not the, not the brightest individual when it comes to like <clears throat> math, science, uh, English, literature, anything like that. But he is, he is a one of the highest level geniuses when it comes to boxing. Yeah. And, and all that stuff is that way because he's a product of his environment. Look at his dad. Look at his uncle. Look at the way he grew up. I mean, come on. What do you expect? Like that's just it sucks, you know? Because you have a guy that's that good at something, it, it, and that's all he's good at. The reason why he is smart in business, or he has become smart, is because he has smart people around him. Okay, he's got the like, Al Heymans, and then people like that that have helped him kind of prune his career and and the way he looks at things and talks about things and and so he has a good insight into it but you can't give a guy like that total control because then you have him you know acting like a and he has like three lines that he says the whole time it's like come on dude this is horrible like give me some better production value give me some more content that i can like I, 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 that i don't see right through i know a lot of people uh, you know felt certain ways about it but i'm sorry the adoring public is stupid <laughs> <And> <laughs> well, they are. They're, they're really dumb and, and they fell for it and if you see the genius in conor mcgregor of course it's being scripted okay but that's the kind of guy I mean, you see these are the rules don't talk about floyd beating up women don't talk about this or that whatever the rules were um and and you say no go and he'll run with it and he will put on a show because that's what he does you know but you, you give him some outlines i'm sure if you didn't get him outlines, he would have ran rush route over everything no doubt been awesome but uh you know it's it's just ha- having so much control and having it be a popularity contest that's all it is it's not even about the fight uh, no matter who wins, because it's going to be Floyd. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a boxing purist. I love boxing, and I, I I'm a Conor fan. I'm a Floyd fan. You know, he's the best defensive boxer of our generation. I, no I talk a lot. Of, I talk a lot to everybody because it's funny. But um, and, and feel free, anyone out there, if you can make it funny, make fun of me. Have fun. Have at it. I don't care. Just make it funny. Don't be rude because we get block. Um, you know, don't be. But when you when you have this whole thing. The way it was shaped and the way it was produced, it just... I I just... I got so sour on it. And and the way it just kind of fell apart, it got later and later and later, it just got worse and worse and worse. And obviously, Connor gave a great speech uh, in that little debate thing um, in in London. But it it was just... I don't
2: know. The whole thing just was
0: gross to me. Well, it's it's interesting. It's like... You, you, you touched on a lot of key points there. Like Floyd ran out of material, there's no question. Floyd controlled the event, but that's like his legacy, right? Like he's, he's figured out how to beat the system so hardcore that he controls even, you know, the potential cutting of someone's microphone. I mean, there's no question there. You also pointed out a key one. It's being marketed to the... The not smart population, and I don't, and I mean that in the sense the people that aren't smartened up to the fight game, the people that are coming in for the reality TV elements, and to that degree, it may have been a home run, is even though that feels sort of grimy in the end. But when you look at the whole event in the fight, the boxing public is sort of like, you know, get out of my screen, get out of our sport, this is a carnival, this is a joke, how is Floyd going to earn, num- you know, victory 50 against an MMA fighter? I feel like the MMA reaction, though, has almost been like a, hey, we made it, we got to this level. Did you feel <laughs> any of that, or do you look at it equally as, this is a joke, Connor shouldn't be in this?
1: No, I, I you know what, he, he earned it. He earned it, and granted, it was through, um, partially through a popularity contest, because you know these are two of the biggest... Biggest sports figures on the planet at the moment, and they won't go down as that because they're both very, very special athletes. You know, they're both very, very special personalities. But like I said, the fight itself doesn't matter. No matter what happens, Conor's going to win. He, and I'm not talking about the actual fight itself. Okay, he's, he's, he's most likely not going to win that. But um, you know, he, he anything can happen. You know, look at Maidano Maidano rough out Mayweather, didn't finish him, didn't didn't he hurt him once? So that's that's the biggest thing people have, but but Connor can't lose in this because he's going to make a buttload of money. I mean, he's making crazy money for this, and he, he all he has to do is touch Floyd. Honestly, he has to just touch him once, hit him, and if, even if it doesn't knock Floyd out or hurt Floyd, it's still going to make him look. Good. He's going to come out on top. And Floyd, you know, this is this is Floyd's, you know, probably last stand to go out and make a bunch of money, pay pay off his taxes. I mean, granted, we don't know how he's going to pay off the taxes that he's going to use this money to pay out. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so we don't need to go there. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand how you have so many smart business people behind you. Like a guy from, uh, Heyman went to what? He went to,
0: I think Yale he went or to, something. he went to an Harvard? Ivy league school. I think it was, I think it yeah, was Harvard. Yeah. Harvard?
1: Yeah. So you have a guy that's that smart, but you, how do you still owe that much money? Honestly, like how do you have handlers that let you, spend that much money and also how do you owe that much money so there's a weird a weird spot that obviously we don't know anything about it because we don't we don't know inside information though no don't care but but you just see the the, the, the the misrepresentation or the mishandling of Floyd and they're letting him do all this stuff and and you know he's gonna go broke eventually he's gonna go broke like and we're all going to get
0: to see it. You know, we've he's said a, that he's gonna, he's gonna, for years. It, it would, uh, he, he would obviously be on like an almost MC Hammer level of, of of disappointing to see that a guy who made like an atrocious amount of money who should have seen the, the, you know, the falls of the guys before him. You hope not for Floyd. Obviously, he's showing you what we've seen the public, some bad signs. I like where you said McGregor's already won just by being in this. And that's kind of true, right? Like he got under Floyd's defenses even to sign this fight in a way that is almost miraculous right everybody calls out Floyd Mayweather in every sport almost right they know that's the payday this guy made it work obviously that you know we can't discount how he made it work right like he's a he's a virtuoso entertainer like we mentioned all of that yes. i want to ask you one specific question that jumped out to me when i watched every interview on this press tour when i watched every second of content coming off I felt it was almost like a strategic move. That two of those four days we see Dana White with the t-shirt that says Zufa boxing on it. And when people ask him, why are you wearing that? You know, is this the beginning of more of these type of fights? He gave sort of the, you know, we'll see. You know, I can't I can't talk about this now. We'll <laughs> see. It's almost like we all know for as as broken as boxing is the 1% still make more money than, than any UFC fighter has ever made, right? Like, that can never come close oh, to it. Is this the beginning of, of more of these crossovers in your eyes? Did that state shirt make a statement to you in any way?
1: I saw it, and I, you never know. I mean, it's, it didn't, didn't make much of a statement, but I think it it, it gives an idea of, of maybe what's to come. Um, I think we're finally going to see, and it, it irks me because, you know, I mean, like, well over... 200 grand my first first year in UFC you know like I I did I did I did all right um but you look at kind of the way it's going people are going to make start making a lot more money I I think I hope I mean you have let's say you take Joanna you win um for instance she is a Polish superstar she's marketable she's a savage she's one of the best strikers in MMA you know, realistically, and, and, and that's coming from me, who was never into women's MMA, even though I trained Carlos. sports. You don't want to beat up my basic little sister, okay? I should not mm-hmm. like her. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I appreciate the fact that, that the UFC can market her and make her a superstar. You have Bobby Knuckles down in Australia and, and through New Zealand. He's their biggest sports star. I was just with my friend from Australia who was, came to, to visit me out here in California, and he, we were going over all that. And He's like, yeah, the kid is now a superstar, and imagine if he becomes the actual champion. Imagine if he beats Michael Bisbee, which he, he could, for sure. It's going to be a great fight. Um, you have other people in other countries now, not just a Ronda Rousey or, or you know, an American star like Chuck Liddell, uh, who is someone that, that raised me in the sport. You know, uh, I go hang out with Chuck in Hollywood, and he's, you know, well, what are you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm with Leo, like Leonardo DiCaprio, or <laughs> all these other famous, Ubers famous people, because that's what he is, but now we have Connor who's taken over Ireland, Europe, and the UK as a whole. You have, uh, you have, you know, Australia now taking over. You have Poland. You have these champions from other places. Obviously, Brazil is always going to be huge. Um we're gonna see. Hopefully, I have faith, you know, and I'd love to be part of the machine because obviously I need to make some money here. <laughs> to, to see them kind of building a, a worldwide infrastructure for for creating superstars, and and not, you know, obviously fighting is the heart of it, but it's not about fighting anymore. It's about a popularity contest. It's through social media and, and all that through the news. Our our moral compass has changed. It's like everyone cheering John Jones for being a cokehead and 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 Daniel Cormier. Boo him because he's he's a good-hearted Olympian. I mean, there's more to it. I think people see it, that John Jones has gotten under his skin, and you know he built that house in his, in his head and he threw it in the pool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and, and, and honestly, I, I've been a guy that's, that's said a bunch of negative about John Jones because he's been a up. He's been an idiot, and he's and he's lied about it. But I read that latest article with him on Bleacher Report. Wow, newfound respect. He's finally come out of come out of everything and gone. You know what? This is me. Big deal. Deal with it. I don't, I don't care if you like me or hate me, and and that was kind of what as, as just a in my personal you know in my brain. I was like, I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for this guy to finally do this.
0: That's called and, a heel turn, like, Ian. Right? That's called embracing yeah, a heel turn right there.
1: Exactly. But if you if you read the article, I don't know if you have it's it's great. It's a great article, and I, it was put together well, and John did really good in it. So you just you see how sides changed and all this stuff. It's all going to be about popularity, you know. Um, Look at Sage Northcutt, the guy became a superstar overnight, and he has fizzled out pretty much completely, you know, he—he's but people don't care, he's still marketable, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's just how it works, it's how you make money, and it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, so now we have to learn how to navigate all this and deal with it, and, and I'm i am right there with everybody else trying to figure it out.
0: Alright, what do you make of, of guys, you know, a guy in your division, former opponent Demetrius Johnson, having you know, a public scandal, a public beef with the company about payment, about treatment. I feel like 2017, if anything, has been the year of the outspoken fighter. Are you embracing this direction of guys sort of taking control of their own brand?
1: Yes, I like it a lot. Um, because as a promoter like Dana, you know, who, who has done amazing things, I've, I, I, you should never take that away from him. But what he did to Demetrius, shame on you. You know, that was that was, that was not cool. Um, but, you know, that's life. That's business. That's how it goes. I mean, it, it, but to see fighters like him or myself, I, I've even told my agent, they've offered me fights multiple times this year. And number one is my health. I have to get that back. But number two, I need to renegotiate my contract. I ain't even saying now because I don't make enough money. You know, I, I got an offer from Russia, uh, that Chechen dictator guy. Yes. Friend. And they offer me a hundred grand flat without even negotiating.
0: That guy wants you to fight money. to the death though. That guy wants to Whatever. fight to the death. People people ask me, they go, You don't care that it's blood money? I don't give a f
1: if you pay me in blood diamonds. Okay? <laughs> like I don't care. I, I get into a ring and I, I potentially try and beat someone to death until a ref stops me for money. I don't care. Give me my money. So with that said, okay, UFC needs to pay me more. I know what I'm worth, and and it's not worth risking my body. The last couple fights I've lost, what five fights I've tried to do to, to, to end my contract so I can get a new contract, like we've talked about with the UFC, has not happened. So I'm I'm done. I'm not going to end up in the hospital again for for peanuts. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And I, mean, I have to get paid. I, have to, I, I just see that the fact that that Russia offered me or Chechnya offered me 100 grand. That that's a big deal to me. I I it's just the the, the mental part. Of it. I see it and I go okay. Now, now that's, what, that's,
0: that's, that's a goal of mine, is to get that sort of money. Um, well, that feels like the best thing that could, could happen with Mayweather and McGregor, it seems, for the UFC is maybe kicking guys in the back and saying, you could be, you could be worth more. You are worth more. Yeah. You should be worth more. Go out there and get it, whether it's in boxing, whatever it is. I mean, I think the positive effect for MMA fighters is that it is McGregor's raising the ceiling to a higher level. And every time you raise that ceiling of, of salary, everyone else is going to be eventually brought up to their own level
1: exactly and I want to make a note that, that, that yeah, I'm not shitting on the UFC the UFC has taken care of me my entire career I mean they've always been great to me I've, I've never really had a bad experience with them I've never been talked down to everything's been great so I'm not trying to, to to undermine them or anything it's just the truth you know there's that's just how it works and then I wouldn't be let's say they said no we're not going to resign you I'd say okay that's fine <laughs> okay I did see ya thanks for the work thanks for thanks for all the love over the, over the years you know it's it, you just got to take care of yourself and, and people, people get too personal when it comes to business in every business. I mean, especially when it's just you going up there to perform, people really expect more and, and you have to earn it. You have to earn it through well. now we have multiple ways to earn it through being popular, through being good looking. It helps yeah. um, through, you know, through having a, a country or a state behind you, having a good fanfare, build that on a regional scene. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways, and then actually going out there and performing, which is something I haven't done. You know, I get, I get it. I haven't performed up to my up to my greatest at all. I mean, I've I've performed like crap my entire UFC career. I mean, even my first fight with Demetrius, I should have finished him. You know, all this would be different. History would be different if if, if I would have done my job and finished him. And that's a great
0: off. way to. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. History could have been different when you see Demetrius go from the level he was when you fought him to. Uh, pound for pound, number one, almost across the board. And now, some people, Dana included, teasing greatest of all time level before that recent beef he had with him. Do you? Do you? What do you think about Demetrius's rise from that fight, where you, you know, provided his only blemish at Flyway? You
1: know, I stopped uh, messing with Demetrius and, and talking trash, and just because just it's it was it was easy. You know, he doesn't fight back, and he's just so nice. And the fact that he he's earned. My adoration has earned everyone's. The guy is incredible. And whether I beat him or not and, and all that, I don't care anymore. It was a long time ago. That's my Al Bundy moment that everyone <laughs> wants to bring up, you know. Like, oh, f- I four touchdowns one night. I, I don't care. It, I lost. He'd be at a rematch and he beat me fair and square. You know, it, it's just how it goes. It's life. And then, uh, One thing that, that most people don't have in life is, is the actual moment where their life started to spiral out of control. And I have it. When you see that first fight and our hands get raised and I run off, that's it right there. No one else, I, I don't know anyone else who has that. You know, like, I, I saw the point where my life crumpled. And, and it's just, I've never regained footing. But Demetrius ran with it. He got, he got back in the gym, where I did, and I was out slacking and doing dumb things. He got better and got, you know, he came back and kicked my in Florida. You know, it was, that's how it goes. I, I dropped the ball. And, and people, people don't, people don't, they don't, uh, they don't, take that to mind you know and, and, and Demetrius has become the greatest fighter I think in history and from a technical level you know from from a standpoint where where you know the guy works his butt off I think the the most naturally gifted athlete in in the world as far as fight sports goes John Jones right I mean and and the fact that he doesn't work hard enough well you know maybe maybe that's over now after reading that article I, I, it sparked an interest in me where I'm like okay I really hope we see John come out and as much as I like Daniel, I also like violence a lot. <laughs> I want to see him go out and crush people because he has the capabilities, you know. And if he can do that to someone like Daniel Cormier, then wow, you really are the best. But um, right now, those are the two best guys for sure. And uh, I just, I don't know. I, there's, I've had a lot of time to think about this,
0: obviously, as you can tell. No, no doubt about it. As we transition out, and I, I couldn't thank you enough for for your time on the podcast today. Is the beef with Ronda Rousey over?
1: Um. Yeah, I just you know what it was is I never thought that women were good enough in fighting, honestly. And she was portrayed as this like lion killer, this this savage that was so above everyone else. Well, that was before we had female athletes. You know, realistically. Like, Rhonda's not the best athlete on the planet. You know, she's a stationary target, she's she's Sure, she was. She was. She did amazing, amazing things for the sport. Um, and I was having fun. I was being a dick. I, I know. I, I deserve to. to you know. <laughs> people get mad at me over it. But I, I've changed my tune because now we have actual athletes, like not soccer moms. And oh, I had to lose baby weight, and now I go, oh, now I want to fight. You're like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> go, go, take care of your kids. Like, you're not a, you're not, you're not an athlete. Okay. But now you have the, the man in Nunez's and the the Shevchenkos and the Holly Holmes, who are just superior. They are, and, and now I appreciate it. You know, Ioana and the, whoever else. You know, even Carla is an amazing athlete. She's a wrestler. She's a all it. Like, you know, you had you actually have now. And women's MMA has has transformed and progressed at a rate that took men, you know, a, a, a lot longer than they did. We men built the sport for what twenty years, twenty five years now, and uh, even longer, I guess. And and women caught up at a crazy rate. So I, I, I'm the first person to say, now I, you know, I bite my tongue. I'm sorry for what I said, but they earned it. Maybe it was motivation on my side. But, um, you know, I, I, and I also felt bad for Ronda once she lost to Holly. People were right.
0: f- – that was so unfair. Right. Like that, I, again, me going back to the moral compass of, of
1: just society in general – it, that was f- up. That was horrible. The way they did that, and I was just like, dude, that's gross. I, I'm not touching that with a stick. Like, <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere near that. I felt bad because it was it was just wrong. The way the way the internet is, and the way you know people have this like they you know they can go on and post anything on anyone's page at any time. It's just it's silly. But if you learn to uh, you learn to block people for one, I learned this from and Shop. job. Uh, block, sorry. Like you just if you're gonna be a dick, I'm gonna block you. You know, make it funny, please. Make fun of me in a funny way, so I can laugh, and then say something you know sarcastic back to you. Um, but I don't know. It's that the whole thing with Rhonda, I was is, is well over. You know, I'm sure she's she doesn't need anyone else making fun of her or talking because that's just the girl's been through enough. I, I don't I don't want to kick anyone while they're down.
0: Hey, this is a mature uncle, creepy here. You you've graduated to uncle status. I mean, this is it, right? <laughs>
1: I have, you know, and I, I, it's, it's being a parent and having this much time to reflect on my life and then having life constantly on you. I mean, life has on me so much over the, over the last year or so that I, I just I go, okay, like, what I just got to smile. I just got to smile and be introspective and reflect on things and, 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 just still, after all everything that's happened, I mean, you guys have no idea. You guys only know the, a, a, a very small percentage of things that have gone on in my life, and and it's been it sucks, but I'm still smiling. I'm still here, I'm alive. The world's still not gonna kill me. <laughs> it's tried, it's tried a few times. It's tried to kill me multiple on multiple occasions, and it's not succeeded. So, um, <laughs> I, I might as well try and back off of that uh, risking life behavior, and and, and create you know a, a different legacy. You know, I I think I helped build. Uh, the sport at a lower weight, you know, I've been around for a long time, helped build the flyweight class, even though it's kind of sputtered out since my, my fallout, um, which I don't blame on me, it's just the way things are filled out. Um so I, I'm happy, I guess, you know, I'm just, just trying to, just trying to figure out the rest, what, what's next, you know, is it fighting still, is it, is it, you know, all cannabis, is it, uh, am I, you know, gonna, am I, I going to become a documentarian, you know, I, I, I things like that, and I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to have something else to
0: do. Yeah, man. You, well, You're a personality. You've always been. You have a great personality. We we got the podcast out there, right? Story Time with Uncle Creepy. Tell the people where they can find it's, this. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'll, I'll go on your podcast app.
1: if you have an iPhone. Um, it's, it's interesting. I haven't been doing it like I should. Like I said, my life has been really hectic over the last few months, so I just started doing... Uh, Stuff over the phone. I, I
0: didn't have time to go to LA to work with TJ DeSantis, who's been my producer forever. Great guy. Um, but T is I, yeah, amazing. I mean, we, we make such a great team. And
1: um, but now I'm getting back in the, in the swing of things, and I've got a mobile unit, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be going back up to TJ to, to record with him. It, it's right now we're just breaking down fight stuff and kind of screwing around but i'll be giving more more good stuff soon you know i've got friends like uh matt this matt shadow is the singer of event sevenfold is he gets back from tour in august i do believe um so he's like bro when are we gonna do a podcast i was like oh well thank you <laughs> thank you sir um or just other cool people that are coming up cause I, I don't i don't ever have fighters like i'll talk about when i talk about fighting in my podcast it's about fighting but when i have my other friends whether it's people in bands or or people who make films or people who you know, I got a buddy that shoots porn or, or playmates or porn stars or, or whatever. I mean, I, there's a million, million people that different walks of life that go on my podcast, and um, it's interesting. You know, go check it out. It's, there's some pretty cool stuff that I've done, and, and I'll, I'll be doing a lot
0: more soon. At Uncle Creepy MMA on Twitter, hey, you're 33 years old. If the future takes you out of the sport, you look like you're, you're seeing where that future is, can be. I can only wish you well, man. You got a good head on your shoulders. Keep up the good fight. Thanks so much for joining us on In This Corner. Thank you. Anytime, man. Take care. See you. Wow, how does one even begin to unpack that? A very honest and raw take from Ian McCall. lot to digest from the deadly serious to the funny and the bizarre Uncle Creepy giving us the full buffet of emotions on In This Corner. Many thanks to Ian along with our other guest Luke Thomas of MMA Fighting and thanks to the listeners for coming with us on this audio journey. Be sure to check our boxing and pro wrestling offerings this week on In This Corner and be forewarned. We're coming even bigger next week with a guest previewing UFC 214 that you will not want to miss. We'll be back with even more of that performance-enhancing audio. You can have it in the cream, you can have it in the clear, but most importantly, you can have it your way. It's a judgment-free zone here on the ITC, so follow me on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. Swan dive in with those DM questions because if i've learned anything at this point really i mean it does go down in the dms i will give them that i've only got two words for you all though as we exit we out